0: This is the How We RevOps Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm a Senior RevOps Consultant at GoNimbly. Aligning your go-to-market teams and the tech behind them is easier said than done. And in this podcast, we talk about how we get there. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the How We RevOps Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. I'm a Senior Revenue Operations Consultant here at GoNimbly, And today, we have our Head of People Operations, Kyle, with us. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks, Adam. (laughs) Hi, everyone. This is Kyle. I'm the director of people ops at GoNimbly. I've been working in the HR space for about eight years. And most recently, last three years or so, I've been at GoNimbly where I am in charge of the people experience.
0: Thanks for the intro, Kyle.
1: Today, we're talking about
0: all things careers and RevOps. And I'd like to kick things off by asking what are some myths you'd like to debunk about standing out as an applicant if you're applying for not only just a job at GoNimbly, but Just in general, I think folks might be curious. Yeah, I love this question.
1: There are probably three big myths that come to mind. I think the first myth is the myth of the cover letter. It's not that important. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. You're
0: jumping the gun because two questions from now, one of them is, are cover letters dead? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like yes.
1: (laughs) They are. Be dying. Rest in peace. They are, they're gone. The fact of the matter is that at the end of the day, Recruiters don't spend that much time, they don't have that much time to be reviewing things that are very lengthy. So it's really just a quick scan of like your resume. You want that to be really readable and contain all the information possible. But for yeah. a cover letter, it's not that important. And I, what I've seen over the years is that people feel like it's obligated. They'll go to Google, they'll type up cover letter templates, and then just, they'll just use the template. And like when you're looking at hundred applications, and they all use the same template, I know it's not real. You know, it's not real. Don't use it. It's not worth it. You're not going to get rejected because of it. The only caveat to that that I think is important is that if there's something that you want to really explain or highlight, Mm -hmm. maybe put that in a cover letter. An example would be like if you are based in a different state or a different country and you're applying for a position in another city, maybe highlight that you're going to be relocating, that you're going to be there by a specific date. You can't put it in your resume. That'd be important.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree
1: with that. And I think when I started
0: writing cover letters about 10 years ago, I was so confused by the format. Why does it have my address? And they just seem like such an awkward piece. And I think one thing, though, cover letters do is they encourage people to think about their story and the why behind this job and other jobs. So I think that there's other places and spaces where you can leverage that. But I hope that with this phasing out of cover letters, people are so mindful of the importance of being able to tell their story and why they're interested in this particular position. Absolutely.
1: If you, you want a strong narrative, you want to be able to explain that, you want to be able to do your elevator pitch, but it doesn't need a cover letter. <laughs>
0: what are some other myths or just urban legends of people (laughs) operations
1: i think we're all dying to know (laughs) one other myth is meeting all the requirements i think we've seen job descriptions that have 15 requirements Mm -hmm. and just a laundry list of things that you need to have in order to apply Mm -hmm. for most companies this isn't true everywhere some companies do have like firm requirements but on average in general you don't really need to meet all of them So feel free to don't self-select yourself out. If you've got four years of experience and ask for five, still apply. You don't know. You might be the best applicant. Give it a shot. I think that is like a strong Mm -hmm. recommendation. There's actually gender differences between us too. As as like an industry or a trend, we're seeing companies scale down the number of requirements because on average, I think men tend to be okay with meeting two or three and still applying, (laughs) whereas women tend to want to get all of them. So don't self-select yourself out. Still apply.
0: Yeah, that's very true. It can be easy to say, oh, no, you know, I don't meet those requirements. Mm-hmm. It's also your personality. I tend to be a little non-risk averse and just go for it. What's the worst they could do say no. So, yeah, it is important to keep in mind that you aren't going to meet all the requirements. And in fact, if you did it might not make the most sense for the organization to hire you because you'd be ready for a promotion in three to six months. And I don't think that makes sense. Sometimes the
1: company really doesn't know what they want. And they might have an idea of this perfect candidate and hey, you might be the best candidate and you might be the best person for the role. So still fine. Yeah. One last myth. And this is an older one, but this like myth that if you don't have all the exact keywords in your resume, Hmm. you're going to be immediately rejected. And I've seen people go as far as having a second page where they ghostwrite a bunch of different keywords to hit some SEO checkbox and like, we'll write it in white text. You don't need to do that. Most applicant tracking systems are not that sophisticated. I have never heard of a company actually doing that. I'm so glad you talked about that because
0: I remember when I graduated college and You fill out a lot of applications and you're not hearing a lot back. It feels like rubbing two wet sticks together where you're just like, I don't have the experience, but I need the experience. Where do I start? And I think that sort of really challenging territory is where some of these myths come from. I've Mm -hmm. never gone as far as having like the hidden words in white text on my resume, but I am a big proponent of having the right keywords is important. I developed a method where I just go and I take a job description and I think of any keywords that stand out. And I think, how can I include those in my resume and whether a software program picked that up or. A human just said, Hey, this person was checking the right boxes. I have found that that's been helpful, especially if you're changing career paths and you need more transferable skills, maybe there's a way that you can identify a keyword and then think about how something you've done similar has been related to that
1: area. One hundred percent. I think the words you use do matter again. Recruiters are not going to be spending too much time. I think on average they can spend around six or seven seconds reviewing any given resume. So, like, mm-hmm. do you want to make sure you're making the most of the six or seven seconds, unfortunately? By having keywords that do make sense that are like the language that people see in the industry, the language that they're using in the job description. So embolden them, make sure the resume is readable. But don't go overboard and have a bullet list of just keywords for no good reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So You kind of jumped the gun. We answered the question, cover letters are dead and or dying. What about some good ways that you could stand out other than your cover letter? What are some interesting things that you've seen folks leverage to stand out in the job application process?
1: Yeah, we just touched on this, that like having a readable resume is going to be really important. When it comes to like the design of the resume, my recommendation is keep it simple. Again, you want it to be readable. You don't want to stand out for the wrong reasons. The one that stands out in my mind is someone had a large picture of a bowl of mac and cheese. (laughs) I love (laughs) mac and cheese. I'm from Wisconsin. That's my love language. But it doesn't really belong in a professional resume. It's not something that you need to highlight for any good reason. So really focus on your actual professional experience. You can include hobbies and your personal address, but make sure your professional experience is front and center.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'd like to hear more about the readability part. What are some ways that people might inadvertently make their resume not super readable? I think, again,
1: having a long laundry list of just keywords without any actual context of where it fits into their actual experience, that's something to avoid. Having clear bullet points of like specific projects you've worked on, Mm -hmm. what the impact was in the business is going to be really important. If you can include metrics, it's always a plus. I know it can be hard especially starting out in your career. And then again, just having it be a more or less simple format, unless you're applying to a design position or something that's going to, you want to highlight your design skills. I think the
0: thing with resumes is they could be such a rigid and mundane process. Sometimes we get excited and we want to get super crafty. I know that I've been guilty early on in my career of going a little too far, having giant PDFs that are too big to work within (laughs) a system. And I've since gone down this route of, I have this fun teal color. I feel like it's indicative of me. And then I have obviously the things I've done. And then I have relevant skills, which give me this opportunity to grab at those keywords, but within context and say, instead of just saying uh, account management experience, I could say five years of account management experience with a variety of different clients and things like that. So it sounds like you're looking for, and a lot of folks are looking for, not just grabbing at those keywords and putting them into the resume anywhere they'll fit, but thinking again about the story and the readability aspect.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. It's, you just find that balance of readability, clarity, and also showing, again, your professional experience as well as a little bit of your flair. So I know certifications
0: are something that are definitely heating up in our space. And I'm wondering if you could let us know how important those are and what you look for in a resume with somebody that does or doesn't have some certifications. Yeah.
1: Certifications, a hot topic. I think in the industry, your mileage is going to vary. It's going to depend on the organization and also where you are in your career Yeah, in general. Like I see orgs that do require a specific certification in a tool, or you need to get that certification within two months, three months after you start. And they really do prioritize that. Hmm. But in general, they're going to probably matter more the earlier you are in your career. If you're just starting out, you don't have a ton of experience. Maybe you're in like that one to three year range. Probably going to want to look into getting certifications. One, you're going to learn something probably from doing it. That's always great. Yep. You able to use it in your role. You're going to learn some of the best practices and be able to implement them. You shows that you're committed to this career track, you're really interested, you're eager to learn more. Hiring managers often look for that when they are doing interviews. It helps us out that way. And then it's another thing to just add to your resume if you're looking to build out additional experience and you don't have a ton of things to put down yet. I'm with you there. I think that they are something that
0: really helps you early on. I know that was something that definitely helped me out early on when I started this journey in marketing, I logged into Marketo and soon that kind of became my responsibility in my neck of the woods. And I noticed that Marketo had a certification and I thought, all right, that makes sense, right? So I don't have a degree in marketing. I have a degree in international studies and I know that I have some transferable skills and I know that I want to advance my career and I don't want to go back to school and take out more student loans. So I went for it. I took the Marketo certification. Back then there was one. And I think you were supposed to be in the system for a year. I was only in for four months. And luckily they didn't check. And it was really risky because it was $200 or so to take the exam. And it felt weird to ask my employer to cover it. So I just went for it. And this is like really back in the day. So like 200 bucks was kind Of a big deal.
1: Expensive. <laughs>
0: yeah. And it was funny because I did it at home and they didn't like that I was wearing a hat and that threw me off. And then they didn't like that I had cats and they were jumping around. And anyways, I passed. And <laughs> that definitely gave me a lot of confidence and made me feel more valid in the Marketo community. I would go to meetup events and connected with some folks. It seemed like right after that happened, things for me just really took off. And so, yeah, I've renewed that cert, but I don't think if I let it lapse or I didn't get other certifications, it would have the biggest impact on my trajectory. But to your earlier point, they are good. They do help you tune up and feel more confident and learn a few new things.
1: When people ask me, like, what's one thing I can do to get started in the industry, I usually recommend looking into certifications for some relevant tools, because I think especially getting started in a a specific career track, having that experience, having that certification can help you get into a more specialist position where you start to work in a specific tool.
0: Yeah, and something that's interesting that I was frustrated at some of the certifications early on is I almost feel like they don't talk enough about the tool. Mm -hmm. And when you're starting, you're like, I just want to learn the tool. Why are they talking about HubSpot's a great example? Why are they talking about delighting customers? I just want to know how to build a report in this platform. And looking back, I think that type of information is so helpful long-term in your career, because you're going to hit a point where it's not just about, can you do something in a platform? It's about, can you do something that makes sense for the organization? Mm -hmm. Are you doing things that are connected to the objectives of the organization? Are you able to get buy-in? And I think that's also why some of these super niche technical skill sets become less important later on, depending on the track that you're on. Absolutely. Also, spoiler alert, Gonimboli is working on a certification series. So we're really excited and stay tuned for that. Ooh, exciting. So Kyle, let's flip the script. What challenges do you face as a leader in people operations and recruitment? People want to know what is it like? Is it easy? Are you just sipping tea and looking at resumes and pointing out flaws? What's it like?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people think that operations <laughs> HR tends to just be an administrative role. That's not true. Why I really enjoy people ops is that it is a more strategic function. It really is figuring out like the best way to run essentially a business, mm-hmm. which is cool. And at the end of the day, all the problems that we work on are going to be Involving people, people are complex. So the problems are complex. It requires balancing a lot of different stakeholders and different needs. So it keeps me energized and keeps me thinking about what's the best way we can do this. I think a challenge then is because we are with people, like there's a need to be very empathetic, but also know that there is also the realities a business is facing. Yeah. And I think when it comes to recruitment, it can be really frustrating when you've got a ton of really qualified, amazing candidates, great culture fit. Great experience. You want to hire them, but then you know that like the company only has an opening for one spot, and you need to explain that, inform them, and it sucks. It it doesn't feel good, and like at the end, most people want to hire like multiple people if possible. It's just not, that's not what's possible.
0: Yeah, it is challenging, and it's important to think about that. I know. You're in the hot seat when you're applying for a job. You're excited. It's the most important thing to you. And the person on the other end that's coordinating it cares about you, but it is hard to to follow up within every time frame and this and that. It can be challenging. I don't think we'll ever make finding and getting a job more of a human experience than it already is. I don't know. I mean, if I can, I will happily <laughs> sell it to any company because I think it's important. <laughs> yeah. What are some lessons that you would tell yourself if you had the chance to go back early on about finding yourself and you know just preparing for the career that you have today? Oh
1: yeah. I like like many people, I fell into HR. This is not something that I sought out to do when I went to college. I studied science and mm. fell into it. I <laughs> had friends that were in in the industry. I ended up getting a position, got some really strong training, and was able to grow my career pretty quickly, which was very fortunate to have that experience and own a larger territory and responsibilities within recruitment. And then from there, working in-house and working on other roles. So a lot of my experience has been just like in it. And I think that's a huge part of working in people ops is that you do really need to experience it. need to Mm -hmm. work with people, see these different instances, see these different how businesses operate. So don't learn from that and be able to apply elsewhere. Not too dissimilar for my moms. Yeah, definitely. I didn't go on
0: the clearest path after my degree either. I thought I was going to be a professor in sociology and started to get a master's in soc and realized that I didn't see the best fit in terms of what I wanted to do every day and the reality of that position. So Super pumped about helping people, excited to have a podcast like this where I could help people and not necessarily have to exist within a specific structure that is academia. Although no knocks, I I learned a lot in school and encourage others to pursue educational pursuits wherever they may be. But yeah, I think there's something so rewarding and intriguing about figuring out how to develop and tell the story of your transferable skills. And I think like you were saying with RevOps, that is a challenge a lot of folks face. The term has only been around for a few years Mm -hmm. and these systems have been around a little bit longer, but they're constantly evolving. And so I wouldn't doubt that a lot of folks in this field find themselves feeling challenged to tell the right story and to have the right things on paper to bridge into this career. So thinking about a strong applicant for, let's just say, a RevOps consultant role, but this could be valid for any RevOps role, what are some of the things that you're looking for in a candidate? I mean,
1: because of the nature of RevOps, there's so many things and skills that are preferred, but also not needed, depending on like, The work and what we're doing in any given project. So some like core things that we think about are some technical depth, like having ability to go deep on a specific tool or platform, like a, any like major CRM or marketing automation platform, is going to be super helpful. Outside of that, I think a big skill in consulting and then also just something that's really important for us is this ability to be open to learning and being eager to learn. The role of the consultant can be a lot processing. I mean, you get. A lot of information, some of it might not be relevant. You're going to need to be able to process it, learn from it and be able to start to put together outputs and being open to like challenge what you've done in the past, what used to work and might not work now. In this case, because it's a different company. Things have changed. The tools have changed and being open to being wrong about something is really important. So having that like self-betterment mindset, Mm gross mindset is really important for I think any consultant, but specifically robots consultants.
0: Yeah, for sure. And what are some ways that you could tell that someone has a growth mindset? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I think, I think. I'll tell you mine. So I could tell, (laughs) at least in an interview, I could tell when their eyes light up, when they're excited to tell a story about how they overcame a challenge. And it's clearly not they're reading off a prompt or it's just this like unrealistic scenario that never happened. I live for those interviews where somebody's like, yeah, I was given this task and I had no idea how to do it and everything was broken. And I had to Google it a lot and I learned a lot and it was really fun. I could just tell when those scenarios are real and they're not. And it's really endearing when somebody is willing to tell that story of how they encountered a gap and how in the process of not just getting the job done they learned something new and they found out a really cool new path for
1: themselves i love hearing when things go wrong like we know that (laughs) something's always going to go wrong that's never not going to be the case so hearing someone tell the story about like this went wrong this was like a horror story but we were able to solve for it we like learned this from it is going to be such a yeah telling narrative that you can create and also share during the, the interview process. And some that is highlighted for many interviews. I think the other one that comes to mind is we give feedback a lot echo We also give feedback throughout the interview process and seeing people react to so that feedback can be very telling as well. Oh. We should talk <laughs> about my feedback from my interview back in the day. So
0: this is a cool story. I show up at the Chicago office and the email said to bring a dry erase marker, and not a computer. And the first thing <laughs> that one of our people says is where's your computer? And I'm like, I don't have one because I memorized everything and I have a Expo marker and I'm ready to start a revolution. And we were not able to easily find a room. And that was okay. And we got a room. And then I think people couldn't, the people on the Zoom call couldn't see my whiteboard. (laughs) And I drew an airplane because I had this analogy that sales are like the engines of a plane and marketing's like the wings and the flaps. And if they both go full throttle, the plane goes straight up and stalls and dies and they have to coordinate together. Then I felt really nervous. And my feedback was that it felt like we were like cruising along on a highway and everything was going great and then the car just shut off and we pulled over because i freaked out i was like can people hear me can people see me but i guess you could say it all worked out because here i am you're here it did work out.
1: yeah that and i not completely minimize that feedback but i also chalked some <laughs> up to some of the view crap that we may have given you at that time it should have been a little bit clear on how you should prepare for that and i think we've corrected that
0: So that should be the case going forward. I was just really bummed because I loved hearing about tacos. So we have this thing in Slack where we give each other tacos and then we could redeem them. And I just think that above everything else was just like, I can't miss out on that. That sounds like a really (laughs) cool thing to be a part of.
1: The feedback sold me too when I went through the process. I think that was my biggest takeaway was like, this is awesome. I want to work here. If I don't get the job, I want to be able to work at a company where I can implement this.
0: Yeah, definitely. So if you have spent any time on LinkedIn, you might be noticing that personal brands in B2B is all the rage. And I've sort of started to dip my toe in that territory. I think the question a lot of folks are asking is, is this going to translate to marketability? Is it worth it to put in the effort to produce content and post? And I'd like to ask that
1: question to you, Kyle. Short answer, it is yes. <laughs> I think it's really important for many reasons. One, on like the application side, like you're applying for a role. Many modern application tracking systems will have like your resume and your LinkedIn pull up right next to each other. Like they'll do it ah, automatically. Yeah. And like you want to be able to put together, to put forth a cohesive brand. So have your resume not only be readable but also have it tied back to your LinkedIn profile, tied back to your resume, and so on. So having that branding and the, the posts that you're making all sort of feed into that is really important. Mm -hmm. The other big reason is that many companies are looking for candidates and they might Mm -hmm. not post every single job. And if you've got a really well-branded resume, got a really well-branded LinkedIn profile, you're gonna encourage recruiters to reach out to you, contact you, and that might help you get your next position.
0: Yeah, I think the point you're touching on here is that unfortunately the job application process lacks a lot of efficiencies at no one's fault. And it's not just checking a box like, oh, cool. This person has a bunch of LinkedIn followers or they post content a lot. It helps you understand who they are and how they approach things. And it just gives you more of that full picture of a person. And it makes you maybe more excited to have some conversations and network with that individual. In a way that would get really whittled down if you just got their resume in a job application for sure.
1: And this is true for any level of your career, whether you are yeah. just starting out, it's something that's great to see. And also if you're more senior, also also, You want to be like most companies want to hire people that are well engaged, well knowledgeable in a specific area. And if you're posting, you're engaged in that type of content, it's going to stand out.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's even more of an advantage if you're in an industry that isn't typically full of people that just want to talk about themselves. Looking at you, marketing, it's obviously very easy for us to feel appropriate sharing wins and sharing beliefs and tactical advice. But I'm seeing an uptick on social Saturdays of folks in nursing and folks in different types of careers where. We might not think LinkedIn's the first place to build a personal brand, but there's some really good advantages of sticking out and getting some early traction there.
1: Yeah, Microsoft have that locked down in the personal brand and professional branding space. It's important, don't neglect it. Yeah, so let's talk about networking for a sec. I
0: read a statistic recently that said 60 to 70% of jobs are not posted online. And that is why networking is important. And I even myself, as somebody that's like in the middle of introversion, extroversion, thought, yeah, I mean, before the pandemic, it was really easy to network. There were a lot of in-person events and trade shows and all kinds of stuff where you could build a network. But I'm wondering if you have any advice on how to branch out in the world of networking.
1: Yeah. It depends on what industry you work in. I think in RevOps, there's Slack groups. There's a ton of professional groups you can join, whether it's on LinkedIn or just like local groups. So don't that those. There's also obviously like tool-specific groups like Salesforce is a really strong community that you can join and be a part of. So join those, Mm -hmm. engage, participate, and then don't be afraid to just reach out to people on Slack. And then don't be afraid to reach out to people on LinkedIn and ask for a coffee chat. Yep. I think in general, most people are really happy to help. I've had people contact me and ask me, can I have a coffee chat and just meet with you and learn about what you do or like how, like how to get started in RevOps?" And I'm always happy to do that. Like I'm down, let's meet, let's set up a Zoom. And that's a really easy way to like just start to meet people and like do some light networking. It's very low risk, low commitment. And you can meet some great people and they might be able to help you. Yeah, I think you just got to reach out to people,
0: right? It's so interesting. So you go to school, graduate, you get a receipt or a diploma, and now you have to learn how to get a job. Like It's like, why didn't I learn about this when I was in school? And one of the things was talking about informational interviews, like you're mentioning. And the first thing I thought is, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to bother some really important, successful person. Why would they want to spend their time with me? They're going to think that it's disingenuous because I just applied for a job there, or I want to apply for a job at their company. And I could say that now that I'm feeling a little bit more confident in my career and rising as a leader, there's nothing more rewarding than having a coffee chat with someone that's just really interested and some quick tips on what they should focus on and how they could lean into this industry. I would love that and also relating to your other point you can just reach out to people on linkedin it's really interesting i have reached out to some really famous people in the revops marketing ops space and i never thought they would respond to my little linkedin dm but they did and it's really cool to have a medium where you could just connect with those people and not wait in line at a book signing or something like that. You could just really reach out to these folks and let them know what you think about their book or their podcast. Yeah, I think it's probably always welcomed.
1: So don't be afraid. I know it can feel weird first time you do it, but just do it. Totally.
0: All right, Kyle, this has been a ton of fun and we do need to wrap things up. So to summarize, don't worry about your cover letter. You will not meet every job requirement. Your resume needs to be readable. Certifications are a great way to branch out when you're starting in a new role or industry and you want to get some early traction and build some new skill sets. Definitely take the time, even if it's just a few hours a month or a few minutes a month to build your personal brand and networking comes in all forms. And I'm wondering, did I miss anything?
1: I don't think so. As I read it back, there's a long list of things to do, but I think they are simple. And like the main takeaway is go do it. Don't be afraid. Don't subselect slack yourself out.
0: Yes, you have a 0% chance of getting a job that you do not apply for. And on that note, we'll catch you on the flip side.